Good morning in America or good afternoon in the UK and welcome to a special Euro final episode of the Big D podcast. Before I bring in the special guest, please subscribe, like, comment and share the Spunky Spectrum Sports YouTube page. Some open championship content coming next week and uh, can't wait to see golf's wolf and final major. So uh, be excited for that. So uh, one event that has gotten fans not just in uh, Europe but all around the world is the uh, UEFA Euro 2020. And uh, this Sunday is the culmination of 51 matches in the craziest month of football we've seen in a long time. And uh, joining me for the for discussion is my friend Charlie Mullen. Charlie. Have you ever seen a crazier month of football than we've witnessed? It's been brilliant, Dylan. It's been absolutely brilliant. I'll be disappointed when it ends on Sunday night, but um, I've been writing my regular pieces for Betfair here in the UK, and um, I think it's been one of the best tournaments ever. Uh, I include the World Cup in that as well. Um, it's been one of the best tournaments. Uh, the refereeing's been brilliant. The goals have been flying, and there's only been two nil-nil draws in 50 matches played so far. So hopefully that stays that way and we don't get another nail-nail draw on Sunday night. So, yeah, it's been a fantastic tournament. Yeah, not just not just a fantastic tournament, but you've arguably got the two best teams competing with uh, Italy outlasting Spain in a penalty shootout in England, finally getting over the demons of many semifinals in the past, including 19 what was it, 1970, 1990, 96, 2018, and reaching the finals. So uh, first, thinking back to the semis, uh, what did you think of both semis, starting with the uh, Spain-Italy game? Yeah, I thought that was a great game. Um, I thought Spain should easily have won the match with the chances they created, but the last time you and I spoke on the podcast, we were saying how guilty Spain were of creating chances but not taking them. Um, Alvaro Morata for, for one. Uh, well, actually, all the, all the forwards have been missing chances that they would score in their sleep. So they got what they deserved. I don't think they deserved to go any further than they did. I thought they were lucky to go as far as they did, even though they are still leading the tournament in goals scored uh, with 13, which turns out to be the unlucky number for them because uh, they're now out of it. But um, I thought Italy, um, yeah, they, they did well. Uh, one, one thing that I did notice about Italy, and I think England will have to... Um, sorry, well, the one thing I noticed about Italy and how they beat Spain was Spain were always going to pass their way through the Italians. And when Spain got the ball you physically saw all the Italians basically put a wall of 10 players in front of the person with the ball to protect Cellini and Bonucci because we know they're old. We know they don't have any pace. We know that the best way to beat them is by keeping the ball on the ground. And that might be something England will try to do. But again, Italy will deploy that tactic of dropping every forward and midfielder back to help out Cellini, shut the channels down. And um, the, the worst thing England could do is to pump high balls into England's penalty area, where, as I said, Cialini and Bonucci will just head them away for fun for the whole game. 
So um, I thought that was a really good game. And the, um, the England-Denmark game, that, that was good because England hadn't conceded a goal throughout the tournament. So there was always a question of how will they respond if they do concede a goal. And um, yeah, what a free kick, the first and only free kick to be scored uh, in this European Championships. Uh, that's a remarkable statistic considering the free kick takers on show throughout the summer. Um, so yeah, England responded well. They were fortuitous with the equaliser. However, Raheem Sterling would have tucked that ball in if it hadn't been an own goal. And um, yeah, a little bit of luck with the penalty uh, that Harry Kane missed, but then followed up with the, uh, the rebound. So I think overall, I think the best two teams are through to the final. Defensively, we know that England have only conceded one goal. Um, Italy have conceded three. So they are the two best teams in the competition in terms of defensive records. And um, as you Americans like to say, defences win championships. <laughs> just, ask, just ask the bots. But when I think of Italy, I think of... That was a, that was a little unusual from how Italy's played because they've been on the front foot. But on Tuesday, Italy showed a different side. That looked more like Antonio Conte with some of those great Italian teams of Fabian kind of all uh, Paolo Maldini, where you would see it, Italy just soak up pressure. And Franco Baresi going back a little further. And play on the counter a little bit, and then mm -hmm. with England, they were questioned about how it, about how England would handle going behind. Well, they handled it like a winner. I mean, certainly yeah. the own goal. What I mean, beyond him, Stone would have scored anyway. I mean, it's just it's just a poetic justice with how many own goals we've seen, but. And then uh, in extra time, I think of bringing on Jordan Henderson and uh, Phil Foden ended up being a huge difference in the game because England just found another gear. And uh, Harry Kane, yeah, he missed the penalty, but he got the rebound and England won't care about missing penalties. They just care about the final. Exactly. And the, the thing about um, Henderson coming on, um, Jack Grealish obviously was taken off even though he did come on as a replacement he only played 35 minutes I think but you could see what Gareth Southgate was going was doing when they got the goal lead to go 2-1 up <clears throat> he realised we don't have to chase for a third goal we'll just keep what we have bring Jordan Henderson shore things up in midfield and hold on to what they've got Denmark as we've spoken before on Twitter um, they had nothing left to give uh, which is a shame because they've had a tremendous tournament, but their fairy tale had to end some stage. And uh, unfortunately, it was against England at Wembley, the home of football. Yeah, so uh, in a way, this tournament, this tournament for Denmark was a bigger success than anyone could have hoped for. I mean, the tragedy with Christian Eriksen the first game and then coming back and and. Unfortunately, the semi-final didn't go Denmark's way, but they've got nothing to be ashamed of. Great tournament. Yep, absolutely. Tremendous tournament. And with the World Cup next year, it'll be interesting to see how Denmark move on from this. Um, certainly a good platform to build on. Yeah, maybe they could be maybe they could be like what Portugal was, just not just 
getting better and then hopefully maybe making another deep run in next uh, December. Yeah, I will tell you now that the winner of the World Cup next year will be from South America. Ooh. You heard it here first. Because of the heat, no European club, or sorry, no European team will be able to cope with the heat in Qatar um, at that time of year. So I would expect the winner to be from South America. So Brazil or Argentina would be my money. I know. Hey, Germany did pretty well in Rio seven years ago. Yeah, but I think this is going to be a step warmer than that. So we shall find out in, um, what, 18 months' time? Yeah, 17 months. So speaking of the final, when I think of the final, I think of two teams that have taken different routes. I mean, Italy's been a powerhouse for many of years. I can remember those great Italy teams winning World Cups, even the 016 winning World Cup. But lately, the Italians have been bad. I, you and I both remember Italy missing the 2018 World Cup. I mean, that, that playoff against Sweden might have been the worst two games I've ever seen Italy play in my life. I mean, yeah. it looked awful in those games. Yeah, it's great to have Italy back, not just for the, the brand of football and the, the whole charisma that they bring, but also the passion when they sing that national anthem is just a sight to behold. Um, if every country sang their national anthems as proudly and as passionately as the Italians then you can't ask for any more than that because they just love playing for the shirt and I, and I think that's one of the stories that's coming out of the Italian camp at the minute the fact that all the players pull together and play for their country and the fans would like to see a national success more than a club level Juventus fans will probably want well that's what we're saying all the club fans you know all the Italian supporters would like national success ahead of club success. So they might get their wish on Sunday night. Yeah, I mean, the fact, I mean, and I would argue in a way, Roberto Mancini has done the be one of the best, if not the best managerial job, not just with taking over Italy, but, use, but combining Italy's strong defensive capabilities with an attack-minded forward base operation. Yeah, no, he has. He's done a fantastic job. He basically had to rebuild the squad and he had a blank canvas and he's painted a lovely picture and they do play good football and it's been a breath of fresh air, I think, Italy this summer. And um, yeah, it'd be good to see how it ends on Sunday night, but um, certainly Italy have been well worth uh, their place in this final. What is it now? They're 33 games unbeaten. They've won their last 15 Obviously, they scored the first goal in the last 15 internationals. So that will be a key issue. If England score the first goal, how will Italy respond? We haven't seen that for a long, long time. So we shall see. Speaking of England, I, I mean, uh, you being in that country, you you can really, you've, you may be from Northern Ireland, but you understand how England can how many times England's been close with it at a World Cup or Euros and finally breaking through. I mean, is this 
What's different about this England team compared to all the other teams since 1966? That's easy. Gareth Southgate. That's it. He has basically been through all this. He missed the penalty famously in 1996 in the semi-final against Germany at Wembley. 25 years later, he got through to the semi-final. He banished his demons that he had from that night. He's now gone one step further. He's now in the final. Um, he has molded this squad to what he thinks is the right way of doing it. He has spent a lot of time researching how the Italians and the Spanish and the Germans have won their tournaments in the past. And he has now sort of put all that together um, to form his squad, which he thinks will be good enough to win this tournament. Defensively, rock solid, no problems there. There's strength and depth. If Harry Maguire was injured, which he was for the first two games, Tyrone Mings came in, done a fantastic job. You've got some fantastic fullbacks on show. Ben Chilwell, we haven't seen anything of him in the tournament, which will disappoint you, obviously. Midfield and in attack, you have so many options. Um, we haven't seen much of Phil Foden. I know he came on for the last few minutes the other night. Uh, Jack Grealish has played bit part roles. Um, Marcus Rashford, we haven't seen much of him. Uh, we haven't seen anything of Dominic Calvert-Lewin. You know, I mean, those players can turn a game um, if they get the chance. So he's built a very good squad. And there's players that he left behind that could easily have made it here. Um, so, yeah, he's a good man manager. And he is certainly getting the best out of his players. Yeah, I mean, when I think of England, I think not. I think not just of one or two guys, but the whole squad. Because to me, when I watched England finish on Wednesday, they finished so high. I mean, Harry Kane was Harry Kane was still running deep in game. Kyle Walker was running in, in the 115 minute like he did in the fifth minute. Yeah, no, he has. The whole squad have um, exceeded, well, no, the whole squad have pulled together and, well, they deserve to be where they are. Um, they're all playing for each other. There's no star players, as you said. In the past, <clears throat> pardon me, you had the likes of Wayne Rooney up front or you had the conundrum between Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard, two great players that supposedly couldn't play together. But this whole squad, um, Gareth Southgate has picked players not just from teams that are playing in the Champions League, but you know he's, he's got a reserve goalkeeper from Sheffield United who were relegated last season from the Premier League. Um, Calvin Phillips, Leeds midfielder, middle of the table. Um, uh, who else is there? there? There's loads of players. Kyle Saka, teenager from... Exactly. Arsenal didn't have a great season last year, so you could have been forgiven for not seeing any Arsenal players there. Um, Connor Cody, Wolves terrible season last year as a club but um, he's there so it doesn't matter who you play for I think managers in the past were kind of biased towards picking players from Chelsea Man City Man United Liverpool the teams that were doing well but um, yeah it's, it's good to see and you know we haven't seen many Liverpool players and you know Jordan Anderson is probably the only one and that's probably the only one in the squad actually so that's not a good reference but there are a lot of clubs represented in Gareth Southgate's squad and don't forget Jordan Pickford coming off a down year with Everton, but he's been great for England. 
He has. He's been really good. And um, I didn't know if you know this, Dylan, but England are looking to make some history in this tournament by becoming the first team to win the European Championships without conceding a goal from open play. Mm. They've only conceded one, and that was the direct free kick. So no team has gone with a... Spain conceded one goal in 2012, but that was from open play. So England, little bit of history waiting for them. If they can, if they can rise to the challenge. So, if you look at these lineups, lineups man for man, position by position, what areas do you think will be the key? Starting with the uh, goalkeeper, who do you think? Right, I would give the advantage to Italy here. I think um, Gianluigi Donnarumma, fantastic name. Six foot four. I'm sure he's taller than that, but he's officially listed as six foot four. I don't know what that is in meters. I apologize, uh, Dylan, um, for your American viewers. Um, but I think he has a little bit more composure than Jordan Pickford. I've noticed in the last couple of games, Jordan Pickford has had a few rushes of blood to the head. Clearances have gone behind him, gone skew with. So um, I think Jordan Henderson... Each game, as it goes on and on and on, close to the final, he has shown glimpses, only small glimpses, that his concentration levels aren't what they should be. And I think uh, Donnarumma, I think he just pips, pips the scales uh, in an Italy's favour on that. What about you? Uh, agree. I mean, Donnarumma's been playing for AC Milan, it seems like, forever, and yet he's only, what, 22? 22, and he's made over 250 appearances. <sighs> Dang. I'm like, I'm trying to think of guys who made that many appearances at such a young age. There aren't many. Maybe, maybe Messi. I don't even he think. He never really did. Yeah, and Ronaldo, maybe. How many, how many has Mbappe, how many games has Mbappe played? That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. So, uh, in defense, who do you think has got an edge? I mean, Italy's got to be a little different without the uh, without the uh, great left or left back or left wing back, whatever attacker. Yes, Venezuela. Venezuela, one of the stars of this tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would tip the scales England's way on this one. I think defensively, we've spoken about it. They've only conceded one goal um, all tournament. I think their fullbacks, Luke Shaw's come in, and his partnership with Raheem Sterling on the left-hand side has been brilliant. They've got a telepathic understanding of where each one will be. And they've created a lot of chances going forward, but they also do their defending uh, when called upon. Um, I've touched on the Italians with um, Cialini and Bonucci. They're old. They don't have any pace. If you pull them to the middle of the park and that will create spaces for Raheem Sterling and perhaps Harry Kane and whoever else is playing with a bit of pace, Saka maybe, to run in behind the gaps left by um, Cialini and Bucnucci, that could be a problem for Italy. But as I said, in the semi-final, Italy's midfielders and forwards physically dropped back. You could see it visually um, to help those guys out, uh, which takes away from the attacking sense from Italy um, because they've got a lot of running to do. They've got to preserve their energy. They can't switch from defense to attack that quickly. 
Um, so what you lose in attacking, you gain in a defensive fortitude. But I would say England edge it defensively. Yeah, especially with the uh, fullbacks. I mean, Kyle Walker played his best game of the tournament on Wednesday, and England wouldn't be here without Luke Shaw. And no. X factor in this game, if England could get a set piece, Harry Maguire's head might might be an X factor. Yep, and also Luke Shaw needs one more assist to equal Steven Zubar's four record, well, four assists in the tournament so far. So there's plenty for uh, Luke Shaw to play for, and he has had three assists so far this year, this summer. So yeah, I expect him to have another good game on Sunday night. Midfield, and we know games often decided in midfield. Who's got the edge? Again, I would tip the balance England's way on this one. Um, I think Declan Rice has improved so, so much um, over the last season, two seasons for West Ham. And it was noticeable against uh, Denmark. No, maybe not Denmark. The game before that. Ukraine it was. That's right, when England won 4-0. The first player that Gareth Southgate took off to give a bit of rest to for the next game was Declan Rice, which shows how highly Gareth Southgate rates Declan Rice. Um, also in midfield, I mean, you could have any of the, the England players that have performed so far. They, they've done tremendously well. Mason Mount um, missed a couple of games because of COVID. He's now back in. Um, he just offers a little bit more in midfield compared to what the Italians have in midfield. I'm not taking anything away from Italy's midfield, but I just think that um, England have more options, more dimensions to how they play. And that's why I'm giving England the advantage with the midfielders. Might it also be that England's midfield's pace here because if Southgate goes with the same three midfielders with uh, Rice, Phillips and Mount, that England's midfield might have more pace while Italy's midfield might be able to pass the ball a little bit better? Yeah, yeah. Um, just going back to the... Um, defenders. I worked out um, Cialini and Bonucci are combined age of 70 and they'll be up against um, Raheem Sterling and Harry Kane combined age 53. So yeah, that that might make a difference. If this game goes to extra time, uh, that might make a difference. But um, going back to the midfield, um, yeah, I would say England have more options and yeah. I'd expect them to have more of an impact than the Italians. I'm glad you mentioned Harry Kane and Raheem Sterling. So who's got the advantage in attack? England. England. You you can rely on Harry Kane. I know you didn't see him scoring uh, many goals in the first two, three matches of this tournament. And there was a big outroar in this country about him, whether he should be starting or should he be dropped, whatever. But he come good. He came good. And I, I think I said to you the last time we did one of these that don't worry about Harry Kane. He will come good. Um, he's got four goals. Sterling has three. Okay, he should have had four, had it not been for the own goal the other night. But you can rely on those two players to score goals for you. Looking at the Italians up front, you've got Zeron Immobile, he's got two goals. Well, talking of two goals, Italy have five players on two goals. Um, Immobile, Insigne, Locatelli, 
Piscina and Chiesa. So while they spread the goals around, I would rather have one, maybe two players who will guarantee goals as best as possible. And I think with Sterling and Harry Kane, you can depend on them more than you could the Italians. However, the Italians have looked dangerous. They've had more um, more attempts, I think it is. I made a note of this. Um, they've had 80 attempts. 30 have been on target, 50 off target. England in total have had 50 attempts. 25 on target and 25 off target. So England have been a little shot shy, but I expect that to change in the final with the, uh, the trophy up for grabs. Yeah, I don't know where you can't. I'm glad you mentioned, is it Chiesa or Chiesa? I think we can get away with either, but Chiesa, maybe. But Chiesa's been one of my favorite players. I mean, that lovely goal against Spain. Yeah. The question for Mopole is, can he be consistent? Because he was good early, but hasn't been quite the same late. And uh, we know what a senior could do is score a lovely goal against uh, Belgium, I think it was, in the quarterfinal. Yes. Yes, it was. Because Kevin De Bruyne, I blame Kevin De Bruyne for that goal. Um, that whole Italian move started in Italy's, in Belgium's half. Sorry, in Italy's half. Kevin De Bruyne just stood there while the Italian, I'm not sure who it was, started the ball and basically ran. Kevin De Bruyne was just stood there and the Italian just ran around him. And De Bruyne made no effort whatsoever to stop that move from developing the way it did. So I blame Kevin De Bruyne for that. But the strike was fantastic. Immobile, I was impressed with him in the first game when he scored a couple of goals, I think it was. Um, but since then, and I didn't think Insignia was a good player. But the more that the, the tournament has developed, my mind is now saying that um, Insignia is more of a threat than Immobile. But... Um, they're both good. They're both good forwards, and they will be shooting at all opportunities. Yeah. So, uh, do you think fatigue will be an issue for either of these sides because they both played extra time? Of course, Italy played. Italy got an extra day before the final. Yeah, you don't know if that's going to make a difference having an extra day to prepare. Possibly it will, but Dylan, we're you know, let's not kid ourselves. These players are well pampered. Um, it's not as if they're sort of traveling to games on, you know, economy flights or anything like that. You know, they've got everything they need. So I wouldn't make too much of the fact that they've played extra time and this and the other. They'll have had ice baths straight after the game, easy sessions the next day just to keep the levels up. Um, so, yeah, of course, fatigue will play a part because it's a final. The weather here in the UK at the minute is very warm. I'm not sure what the temperature will be on Sunday evening, but um, the more the game goes on, obviously players will tire. And yeah, players coming off the bench will have a big impact in this game. And I think both teams have a lot of options from the bench. Uh, you know, you look at Locatelli, he looked like a real class player against Switzerland, the two goals that he scored, but he's, he hasn't started since. Um, so he's got that, you know, Italy have got him to come off the bench. Um, so yeah, no, Fatigue, if it goes to extra time, yeah, obviously fatigue will. Pardon me. And um, another thing, if it does go to extra time, we saw it the other night with England against Denmark. No team will sort of risk losing the game in extra time. Um, so they won't, you, won't, you might not see many chances created. 
set piece maybe could create a goal, but no team will want to risk losing the final when they've got the opportunity of taking the game to extra time by being more defensive and not risk pushing players forward. And obviously extra time is draining. Wembley is a energy zapping stadium, so they say. So yeah, fatigue might play a part the more the game goes on. That's why you've got 10, maybe 12 subs to use. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, what is it? Six from each team. Five, five. In normal, five in normal time and then one extra in extra time. Yeah, and I'll use them all if I need to. Exactly, exactly. So from an odds standpoint, uh, what are your favorite props and odds that you're looking forward to maybe use betting in the final? Well, um, the stats that I keep for major tournaments has um, for just this little gem for you. Each squad has 26 players, apart from Spain, who think uh, resisted the temptation to bring 26 players out. Every number, every player wearing number two, three, four, five, six, etc., on the back of his shirt has scored, with the exception of number three. That is the only number hasn't scored in this tournament. So that's down to Cialini and Luke Shaw. Um, so you can get very good odds, I'm sure, for both of them. Cialini will be out from corners and set pieces. So that's not beyond the realms of possibility. And let's not forget, he thought he had scored the first goal of the tournament against Turkey, but it was ruled out for handball after a VAR check. So Cialini, anytime goals for might be worth looking at. We spoke about Luke Shaw getting forward, um, creating chances. If the ball rebounds to him on the edge of the box or inside the box, he'll have a go. You know, he's in a good position. So him scoring a goal might not be beyond the realms of possibility either. So there's two outlandish bets for you. Uh, a draw at half-time could be a good-looking bet as well, considering the fact that I think Italy have been drawing at half-time in three of their matches, while England have been level at half-time in four of their matches. So might take a bit of time, might take the whole of the first half just for both teams to settle in and get rid of the nerves and um, not be too gung-ho. Um, just settle into the game nice and steady. So it could be a slow-burning game. But um, hopefully we will see more goals in the second half. Um, what else? Um, yeah, I've, I think got, I've, got yeah first half, I've got some first-half numbers here. Uh, according to the DraftKings sports, sports, sports book, Italy's plus 270, England's plus 240, and a draw is a minus 112. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think that reflects it quite, quite well. Another bet to consider as well, the last four finals of the European Championships, Dylan, have been 1-0. to nil. Basically, that means... Um, Wait a minute, well, you, you forget it. you're forgetting the one nine years ago. You no, 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 no. Not one nil. The actual game has been won without the other team scoring. Oh, so yeah. in, in this country, in this country, we say win to nil. So you're holding the opposition oh, to I... nil. No, I know, I know nine years ago it was four nil to Spain. But, okay. uh, um, but uh, so another way of saying it would be both teams to score has not happened in the last four finals. Okay. That's, that's another good way of saying it. So, yeah, uh, that, if this final... Yeah, this this could be another final where it could be one to. Okay, I better be careful with the way I say this. Could be won by one team scoring and another team not. 
you know, so it could be a 1-0 win, 2-0 win, 3-0 win, but I don't imagine there will be too many goals in total. I think three of the last four finals in the European Championships have been 1-0 wins. Yeah, Greece. Um, Portugal, Portugal won 1-0. Um, no, Greece won 1-0. Uh, Greece won 1-0 back in 2004, 2008. I think Spain won 1-0 against Italy, wasn't it? Uh, Germany. Germany, Germany, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Spain uh, crushed Italy 4 0. That's then... it, yes. I knew they played Italy mm-hmm, at some stage. And then Portugal beat uh, France uh, five years ago in Paris. That's right. When uh, Ronaldo limped off after 30... 13, 15 minutes, something like that, yeah. 20 minutes. And Adair, Adair scored, didn't they? Yeah, an extra time. Yeah. So uh, ultimately, who wins? Okay, my prediction. Do you watch Around the Horn? Yes. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm doing a, a Woody page here. And I don't have a chalkboard, but I do have this. <laughs> so that's my prediction. Uh, and uh, Big D is... Uh, as always, stuck by England to win this tournament, and I'm not changing now. I think England will win this game. Be poetic justice if it's a penalty shooter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, by the way, a uh, funny story to tell you. The last time Italy, uh, trivia question, the last time Italy and England played a big tournament match together was the 2014 World Cup in Manaus, I think it was. Manaus? Yes, uh uh-huh. that's where England were playing their matches, yeah. In the Amazon. And uh, who was the referee for that game? Well, I know it wasn't the ref. Oh, actually, it might have been the referee for uh, Sunday's game. Was it? Is it Kuypers? Kuypers? Right. Wow, okay. Did you know that he handed out uh, 12? yellow cards in the Champions League final between Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid a few years back. Did you know that? 12 yellow cards. No no red cards, but 12 yellows. I'm surprised there wasn't more. Well, yeah. There's no love lost between those two teams, is there? No. Yeah. Trying to think. How many red, how many yellow cards did Howard Webb hand on in Johannesburg? I'm not sure, to be honest. Yeah. There could have been a few more, to be honest. <laughs> I know. Well, and one kicked, and one kicked the chest. But yeah, yeah. That, trying to think, uh, who was Nigel Dion could have been uh, joining. Uh, well, he's been. Yeah, he he's been doing some of the punditry over here in the UK, and he's been very good actually. Um, so yeah, I do remember his his behaviour in the cup final. Um, but hopefully the referees keep a count of the uh, yellow cards of the issue, not like Graham Paul. Oh, God. Uh, oh, God. Oh, you're thinking of seven inches? Croatia. Croatia, wasn't it? It was uh, one of the Croatians. Seven inches Australia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just thinking. Yeah, that was, that was fun. Not like the uh, Battle of Nuremberg when they were... 16 yellows and four red cards. Jeez. No. 
I don't think this, you know, I said before, I think the referees have played really well in this tournament. They've allowed matches to flow nicely and there hasn't been too many controversial incidents. I know a lot's been made of the penalty that Raheem Sterling won for England in the semi-final. When I saw it live, I thought it was a penalty. I've seen replays and I've seen images, photographs, etc. And it is definitely a penalty for me. I don't know what you think, but for me, the referee got that one right. And to be honest, when the referee called it a penalty, VAL was not going to overturn it. Well, the, 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 there was contact. Um, a point that I will make to um, people watching and listening to this is commentators are looking at players' feet in penalty situations. This wasn't contact with the feet. It was knee onto knee. Um, commentators don't see that. And there was definite contact by, I can't remember which player it was, um, onto Sterling, but it was definitely a penalty in my opinion. And while I'm on the soapbox making my rant, I'm going to say another one here. If this game does go to penalties, I would love for Donnarumma or Jordan Pickford to position themselves in the centre of the goal and not dive too far. How many penalties have you seen that are hit straight down the middle? Uh, more, more than you think. More than you think. So especially with Donnarumma, the size that he is with his arms, you're giving yourself a better chance, I think, standing in the middle of the goal and being able to move slightly to the left or slightly to the right to save penalties. I don't understand why goalkeepers don't do that more often. That's just my opinion. And commentators, when a goalkeeper saves a penalty, give them the credit and don't say it's not a very good penalty by the penalty tech. Because if the penalty... Have been if if the penalty taker takes the same penalty and the goalkeeper dives the other way, it's a great penalty. But because the goalkeeper dived to the right side to save the penalty, suddenly becomes a bad penalty. That's wrong in my opinion. Goalkeepers should get more credit for saving penalties. And, and in a way, if the if the if the penalty taker kicks one in the top corner, you're not saving it anyway. No, no, and you can't be expected to save it. That's fine. You're beaten by a better penalty. That's fine. That happens. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens, whether Harry Kane or Jorginho's penalties needed can deliver. Yeah. Well, I think they're two of the best penalty takers on the pitch, aren't they, at the minute? So, yeah. Um, Jordan better know about Jorginho's bunny hop. Oh, don't worry. Don't worry about that. Goalkeepers these days just have to look to their their goalkeeping coach on the sideline and the goalkeeping coach will go dive to the left, dive to the right, based on the data that they have, because everything's available now. Yeah, do they have data for bunny hops? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but again, if it's a bunny hop, just stay in the middle of the goal. Don't commit yourself to going to the left-hand side because that leaves the right-hand side of your goal completely free. Stay in the middle of your goal. Be big. Put the pressure on the penalty taker. Make him intimidated. Make him make the decision. Make him change his mind. Yeah. The worst thing you, the worst thing you can do, Dylan, if you're a penalty taker, is changing your mind just before you take the penalty. You're always told, take the penalty, right? Have it in your mind where you're going to hit it and do not change your mind. 
So if you're standing there in the middle of the goal and the goal and the penalty taker is expecting you to dive left or right and you stand in the middle of the goal, that freaks him out. He's thinking, right, he should have dived by now. What do I do? Do I change my mind at the last second? And that can mess with your head. And that's when you see penalties blazed over the bar. Yeah, watching the end of that year, of that Italy Spain game, and everyone was signing us up. I'm like, everyone in the stadium knows Gene is going to do his little penalty technique and sign fell yeah. right in the trap. Yep. And look how, think how stupid the penalty taker would be when he does the big long run up and he does a little bunny hop and he strokes the ball as calmly as Jorginho did, right? Going back to my point, Jorginho's penalty to win the, the semi-final. If the goalkeeper had stayed in the middle of the goal, he could easily have gone across and saved that penalty because there was no power in that penalty. Staying in the middle of the goal gives you a better option, in my opinion. We'll see what happens. So thanks for hopping on. And uh, I can't wait for this, for this final. It's uh, going to be crazy. Yep, and we've got the Copa America final the night before, or a few hours before. I don't know what time it's that is with you, but yes, yes, that'll be feisty. Ooh, this is the year Lionel Messi finally gets one. Well, he's running out of time, isn't he? Mm, yeah, I would agree. I mean, I'm trying to think, how old was Ronaldo when he won the uh, Euros five years ago? Well, he's thirty-six now, so thirty-one. Ah, uh, they're just getting, uh, they're getting better with age. Exactly, exactly. I can't wait from that. I can't wait to win my first major football tournament. I can't, I can't wait either. So <laughs> thanks for hopping on. Thanks for hopping on. My pleasure. Enjoy the final. Thank you.